All right. Well, let's get right into it. Paul's letters to the Philippians had an overall theme, and what we titled that theme is Undertones of Joy. And this morning we're going to be talking about joy as well. But I'm going to be introducing to you um, another uh, theme, and that is in Paul's letter to the Colossians. So let's begin by reading the first 14 verses of the first chapter of Paul's letter to the Colossians, beginning in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning with thankful hearts, Lord, being reminded of the gospel of Jesus Christ, having before us the hope of heaven, having been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, you have transferred us from the domain of darkness to the domain of light, to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Thank you for that. And we ask, Lord, in, to give us understanding. Uh, to help us, Lord, to reflect on that and that that would serve to help strengthen us and give us endurance for the things that we face today. And so speak to us this morning, I pray, Father, give us understanding by your Spirit, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title of this morning's message is Redemption Through Christ and Nothing Else. Um, For... The, the letter uh, of Colossians, uh, again, we had undertones of joy in the previous letter. And in this letter, um, we're basically going to give the theme, which is the theme of this letter, is that Jesus is enough. And, and that's it. That for the whole letter, what the Apostle Paul is uh, trying to communicate to the brethren in, in Colossae is that Jesus is enough. He's sufficient. For everything, and we'll understand why it was that he was bringing this um, to them. 
uh, and what it was to serve, for what reason. This letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Colossae was one of the letters he wrote while in prison in Rome. As customary, Paul's introduction includes, of course, who wrote it. It notes prominent companions. We know that uh, there are others whom he has noted in letters previous. And um, in this case, it is Timothy, his beloved son in the faith. Noting that he writes this letter by the will of God, saying that he was prompted by God to do so. And it's addressed specifically to the church in Colossae, which is about 100 miles east of Ephesus, Ephesus being a coastal town in what we know today as being Turkey. So it's a coastal city as far as Ephesus is concerned. So going 100 miles east or inland, you will run into Colossae. And it sits just below Laodicea, again in present-day Turkey. So it kind of gives you an idea of where it is in the world. This letter is believed to have been written in about 62 to 63 A.D., Again, while Paul was imprisoned in Rome, and it is written to the Gentiles. Now, we know that um, there were Jews that inhabited this area of the world, uh, and yet the primary audience for this letter um, are the non-Jews. They're the Gentiles who are living in uh, Colossae. Now, Colossae was, was not mentioned in Acts, nor was it a church that Paul planted. Uh, Paul had spent three years... Again, just east uh, of Ephesus, or uh, just west of uh, Colossae in Ephesus. He had spent three years there. And it could have been there that Epaphras became not only a believer, but from there took the message of the gospel and spread it out through the whole area, through the whole region. We know that he impacted Laodicea and Hierapolis as well. We know also by this letter that Epaphras was in contact with Paul and had let him know of the the condition of the church, which is wonderful to do. That fellowship uh, between, um, you could say, pastors, shepherds is very important. Uh, For me, I have a wonderful fellowship with other senior pastors and I get together with them um, every month. Uh, But we also can call each other and we pray for each other and we talk about the things that are going on within the church. So I I understand this relationship that Epaphras had with the Apostle Paul, especially if perhaps it was through the Apostle Paul that not only he came to faith, but was encouraged to plant this church and to continue to uh, strive and to work hard um, to uh, minister to the saints there. Now, Paul mentions Epaphras and addresses him, this is really important, this is his endorsement, this is what he's saying of Epaphras. He, he addresses him as a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. He is um, described as a man who is completely given to the benefit of those whom he is writing to. He is a faithful minister for your sake. I just want to let you know. Oh, how important that is to have someone of, uh, of stature as, as the Apostle Paul to write just those few words on behalf of someone else. To know his sincerity for the care of those whom he has been entrusted with. So why this letter? This is an important element to understanding why this letter is so important to us today. 
You see, this church was young. It was a church that was in the midst of a city that was just outside Laodicea and Hierapolis, as I had mentioned earlier, which at this time, those two, which we know Colossae was actually at that point a couple hundred years earlier, uh, those two were major market towns on the east and west trade routes. So going back and forth, they were important and itself, again, was once a major market town itself. An important trade route. So you could say that there were many outside influences on the culture of this very place that the Apostle Paul is writing to and addressing. This young church in Colossae had come under heretical attack. Paul heard about it and wrote this letter to make sure they knew that the gospel is forgiveness by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ and that Christ is enough. Nothing else needs to be added, including the philosophies of the world, religious rituals, that is ceremonialism. No one has any really quote-unquote secret knowledge, uh, such as we would know as Gnosticism. Asceticism, we'll find out about what that is, the do's and don'ts, you know, kind of subscribing to a a, a set of acts and non-acts that make us perhaps a little bit more religious. They also needed to be aware of and not rely on human wisdom, human traditions with regards to mixing it in with their worship of God. You see, that had crept in, just much like us today. The church today, there's much of the world that's crept in. So we have our faith, and it's been kind of mixed in with some of the world and, and the philosophies of the world and some of these other things that we, we see around us. So this is a, a letter that is very fitting to us today, that we need to heed, we need to listen to, and we need to... Uh, Make sure that we are aware of with full understanding and knowledge. The bottom line is that the Apostle Paul wanted them to know that Jesus is enough all by himself. Just Jesus. All of this implied through what is addressed in this letter. If not explicitly, it's Definitely by implication, by what was addressed. The things that the Apostle Paul had noted and gone through and explained. This, what they were experiencing, is commonly known as the Colossian heresy. It is when the influence of the world and Jewish practices came into the church, and the church began to mix with what they had been taught by Epaphras and indirectly by the Apostle Paul. The Colossian heresy was a mixture of an extreme form of Judaism and an early stage of what we know as Gnosticism. Nothing new. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 23, the Apostle Paul writes, These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. No value whatsoever. Not a little bit. Not, you know what, it could help out if you kind of go along. No, nothing. He said no value. Period. Zero. Zilch. Nada. 
So the purpose of Paul's letter is to refute this heresy that had crept in so quickly into the church in Colossae and reinforce his brethren by exalting Jesus Christ, being the very image of God, creator, eternal and sustainer of all things, the head of the church, the first to be resurrected, preeminent, the fullness of his deity, and him as reconciler. All of these things are noted here, and they are addressed with, and it's the very things that we need to come back to. We, we need to identify Jesus with these very basic foundational truths that we have come to confess and profess in our faith to him. Therefore, as we see the Apostle Paul, and we'll, we'll learn, is bringing them back to is that Christ is completely adequate. Whereas what they were mixing with, in contrast with that, what they were mixing in with their faith in Christ was inadequate. Christ is adequate. Christ and or plus anything else is inadequate. You don't need to add anything else. It's just Christ. In fact, he described it as empty, and deceptive philosophy, according to Colossians 2.8. It lacked any power to restrain the old sinful nature. Oh, how often we find ourselves in that very same situation. You know, the one thing that the enemy will always distract us from is a simple truth that the Word has everything we need. Everything that we need is right here, found in the pages of Scripture. We're always wanting to do a little bit more. Find a shortcut, perhaps, to be the solution to the situations we find ourselves in, the difficulties of life. But the Apostle Paul was combating something very, very serious here. He was coming against the very heresy that had somewhat crept into the church and he didn't want it to continue, to continue to taint that which is holy, that which is right, that which has been brought and introduced by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. In order to combat heresy that attacks a church, we need to know that Jesus is sufficient. Is he sufficient? Is he enough? Is he our all in all? He is adequate, indeed. Completely, and nothing else will help overcome our sinful nature. With this introduction to Paul's letter to the Colossians, we uh, will cover again, as we read up to verse 14, which includes the greeting, the thanksgiving, and then also Paul's prayer. This would, by the way, this, uh, this reveals, expresses Paul's desire for his brothers and sisters in Colossae. I believe this will give us a good understanding of Paul's heart for them. But more importantly, the heart that he has for the church today. That is God. The, the, the heart that God has for us. The desire that he has for us. This is so fitting as the church is in danger of allowing the philosophies of the world 
and the religions of the world. It's called ecumenism, by the way. If you haven't heard that word, just stick around long enough and, and read enough, and, and you'll get to the part to where people are trying to introduce, I believe it's Ionism and ecumenism, that of unity of the different faiths. And it's, a, it's really a, a clouding of, a perversion of the true faith, which is found simply in the, in the pages of Scripture. So you need to be very careful with that. You haven't heard it? You'll hear it. So make sure you're aware. And just come back. As the Apostle Paul was writing to the Colossians, so he is speaking to us today. God is through his word. And he's warning us of these things because we're in danger of the very same thing. Mixing with the other religions, the philosophies of the world. We need to come back to the true faith of Christianity that is found in the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. This letter's purpose is for the church to understand the sufficiency of Christ. Colossians 2.8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So, two things. Number one, we're going to see the presentation of the gospel, a reminder of just the, our basic foundation. And that's what, he, what the Apostle Paul wanted to get across to uh, the brothers in Colossae, and so it is what the Lord wants to bring across to us today. Secondly, a prayer to be filled with godly wisdom. So that was his prayer, that the church would be filled with godly wisdom. We'll find out what the details to that godly wisdom and what that produces in a few moments But these are the two things and how we're going to break down this morning's message. So basic elements of our faith that we tend to complicate with time. We do. Give us us enough time and we'll complicate anything. Anything. We do. just, Just come back to the basics. We can even weaken by letting our guard down. The moment you let your guard down, the enemy is relentless. He's right there. He wants to punch your lights out. He does. He wants to take you out. So let us not be weakened by letting our guard down okay. to the things of the world. It's, uh, let's read once again the gospel. This is how... And this was, by the way, this was something that was introduced to the brothers and sisters there. They already knew this. Isn't, isn't that funny? Because Epaphras was a faithful servant. And yet the Apostle Paul found that he definitely thought that this was important enough to write them and make sure that they understood. Verse 3. We always thank God. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, Of this you have heard before, in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you. And since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So obviously... Uh, the church in Colossae was special to the Apostle Paul, and so was Epaphras, their pastor. 
Epaphras was responsible for bringing the gospel to this location, and he was the, uh, a native of the city. And we know that Epaphras not only worked hard on their behalf, but we know according to Colossians 4.13 that he also took the gospel to Laodicea and to Hierapolis. And so these were located just north of Colossae and to the northwest of Colossae. Hierapolis is, is just northwest of the city. So, so Epaphras was someone who not only he went to his Jerusalem, you could say, but he also went to Judea. You could say that the Apostle Paul went to the ends of the world, right? But this is, this is something also that we should be encouraged with. We ought to take the gospel to our Jerusalem, but also how far does the Lord want us to go with the gospel of Jesus Christ? I mean, here was one man that impacted not only Colossae, but also uh, Laodicea and also Hierapolis. Just one man going with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In verses 3 and 4, Paul tells them that he always thanks God for them when he prays for them. He's thankful for them. You know, when we pray for each other, we ought, we, we ought to go before the Lord thanking God for that person. That kind of, you know what that does is it, is it sets our minds um, toward that person in a way that expresses the love of God toward them. Being thankful for them. I'm thankful for my wife. I'm thankful for my son. I'm thankful for my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, for my co-workers. Oh, that sets our mind in the right place. And it helps us to express ourselves through prayer and intercede on behalf of them with the love of God. And so he tells them he always thanks God for them when he prays for them. And Paul is always praying for them. He tells us, in verse 9, that he prays for them without ceasing. Always. So this is a beloved church. This is a beloved brother. He's thankful for them and the fruit that they are bearing. Thankful to God for that. Number one, what is this fruit? Well, it's their faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 4 is, Makes that very clear since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. So that's the first thing. The second thing in that same verse is, and the love that you have for all the saints. Number one, your faith in Jesus Christ. Number two, the love that they had for the brethren, the church themselves, itself, everyone together. He was thankful for that fruit. If they trust in Christ, then they will respond to the word. According to John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, you will obey my commandments. And so they will respond to the word of God with a faith in Christ demonstrated by an active and consistent obedience to the word of God. In John 13, 34 and 35, this is, this is fruit that comes through that faith. A new commandment, this is Jesus speaking. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That expresses to the world around us. We testify of the love that we have come to know from God. And as we've come to know that love that we've received from God first... That's when we learn 
and know how to love each other. Well, if God has forgiven us of much, who are we to not forgive each other? If God has expressed His grace to us, who are we to not express His grace toward one another? If He has been compassionate toward us, who are we to not be compassionate toward each other? And I can go on and on. Right? Should be active. Should be active in our own lives with consistent obedience. And this was what the Apostle Paul was expressing a gratitude for, a thankful heart. Oh, I give thanks for you. I give thanks for you for the fruit that is being produced by this love that you have for God in your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for one another. I am truly thankful for the Lord for that. But this is all true because of one thing, and that is hope. The hope that they have come to know in Jesus Christ. Do you have that hope? Because their hope is is not in, in anything earthly. Nothing on earth. Their hope, as we have read here, their hope is laid up in heaven. That's it. In heaven. In Christ. In heaven. It's incorruptible. It cannot be taken away. It cannot be stolen. It cannot be burned up. Nothing cannot be lost. It is secure. Paul was reminding them of the gospel which they had heard and learned from Epaphras. Again, I remind you, this, have you not heard this before? Okay, have you, have you heard this before? Yes. You get y'all here? Yeah? Okay. <clears throat> Should we stand up and... Okay. We've heard this before, haven't we? This is one of those things that, uh, again, the Lord is bringing us back to. Can we start off with the basics? I love this. It's like a good coach will bring you back to the basics. Guys, we are all over the place. I remember my coaches in, in baseball. What in the world are you doing? Hot dogging, doing this and that. You're like, you're all over the place. Let, we're going to go ahead and bring it back to the basics. It's like, oh, we're in trouble. <laughs> right? We're not, we're not quite doing it right. Just back to the basics. We need to be reminded of that. Just the basics of our faith. Paul also wanted them not only to know what they had learned, heard and learned from Epaphras, but he also wanted them to know that the gospel was bearing fruit. Yeah, I want you to know that just as it's bearing fruit here, here in Colossae, with you, just know that it's bearing fruit all over the world. All over the world. Not just here, but it's all over. I want you to be encouraged by this. Because the gospel is spreading everywhere rapidly. And the hope that you had come to know, others are also coming to know. Be excited about that. This is wonderful. The gospel of Jesus Christ is spreading throughout the whole world. Be encouraged. Back to the basics. I cannot express enough the importance of being reminded of the hope we came to know and understand in Christ Jesus. The forgiveness of sins and the hope of heaven by grace through faith in Him, where it's laid up. 
um, to fellowship, uh, what it is that's important for the church uh, to give itself to. But it is especially important that prayer be present in the early life of a believer, in the early life of a church. Paul committed himself to pray, and then he committed himself to pray a little more, and then he committed himself to pray a little bit more. Continued prayer, interceding on their behalf. Why? Because he knew that the enemy would be actively working to distract and deceive them, to take them off course from their faith, and at the very least, reduce their effectiveness as witnesses of Jesus Christ and their faith. He knew that the enemy would move in to pollute and pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the same thing that happens today, especially with new believers and new churches. Oh, what can we do? Here's something that creeps in. A a new church has a handful of people. What can we do to increase the number of people we have? Ah, wrong focus. Eh, Shouldn't go that way. You go down that slippery slope, you'll find yourself uh, being a seeker-sensitive church. Now what you're doing is taking a poll of all of the church and saying, well, not even the church. You know what you take a poll of is the world. What will attract you to come to the church? And I know we do it in the name of, okay, so we want to see people saved. Well, go to the, go to the world and um, present to them the gospel. But we ought to not be doing things within the church that are of the world in order to have the world come in. That's not the way to do it. Early uh, young church, that's, by the way, I know, I've been there, I've thought of those things. Like I said, I am so glad that the Lord stopped me dead in my tracks and didn't allow me to go down those paths. But the Apostle Paul knew that the enemy would move in to pollute and pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the same thing today. It happens today. So, what was Paul praying for? Number one that they be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Knowledge without understanding doesn't really benefit anyone. It's just, you have a mind full of knowledge. Facts. And if you don't know how to apply it, then it doesn't benefit you. It's like, you can win um, Bible trivia, but you lose in life. Why? Because you don't know how to apply it. That's knowledge without understanding, which lacks wisdom. That's now not wisdom. It's just knowledge. No benefit. The result, well, from this prayer of Paul and what he desired for them, was that they would lead lives that reflect the Lord, and that would be pleasing to the Lord. Because they would bear fruit that reflects their relationship with Jesus, and it would encourage the increasing of their knowledge of God. Now, when you apply God's word, uh, in, in just uh, you're you're going to be encouraged by this because I have been. As I thought about this, I'm like, that's that is exactly what happens. Okay, you have a situation, 
And you think, well, I'm going to go to the Word of God, and I'm going to see what the Word of God says and how to handle the situation. And you go to it, you find it. Like, wow, it's right there. You, so you apply that to your situation, and then you find that it works. Are you not encouraged the next time to go back to the Word of God and do it again? Oh, so what happens is then you increase in knowledge, you learn how to apply it, and that becomes then wisdom, right? And then you do it again and again and again and again. And so it actually encourages the increasing of your knowledge of God, and as you apply it, it increases your wisdom. It's interesting how that works in our lives. When we know and understand how to apply God's word to our lives and we see fruit, we are encouraged to increase in our knowledge of the word because we understand its value. Oh, now it's, now it's precious. Where do we go? Oh, it holds great value in our lives. Now we, we begin, this begins to be very important. It cannot leave our hands. We are always going back to it. It's our reference for life and godliness right here. We continue to come back to it. Why? Because we understand its value. God's word is truth in every way. This goes on from there to produce what Paul was referencing, strength, endurance, patience with joy, and a thankful or a grateful perspective toward God. Now, now it's like, I, it's all a win-win situation here. You continue to go back to the Word of God. You see how it works. And so you're grateful to God. You're thankful toward Him. It gives you strength, endurance, patience with joy. It gives you all of those things. And this is what Paul was praying for them to possess. This is what God desires for you today. This very, this very thing. This very thing. Joy reflects a heart of confidence and hope. This is why we can and should possess joy regardless of the circumstances we're faced with. Because we know the one who knows all things and he offers to us his wisdom to handle them in a manner that reflects that wisdom and glorifies him. And then in verse 15, Paul in his prayer is giving thanks to the Father for their inheritance. Their inheritance that is known in Christ and through their redemption through him. Their qualification as the Apostle Paul addresses here. To share in this inheritance of the saints in light is a mention of the plan of salvation that they have come to know personally. In other words, hey, listen, it's not, not because of something you earned, but it's something inherited through Jesus Christ. It's because of what Jesus has already done. He is our rescuer. He is our deliverer. He has rescued us from condemnation and darkness and Satan's domain to the realm of God in light, the kingdom of his beloved son, Jesus Christ. I find that too many people do not understand this deliverance and this rescue. Been rescued, you've been delivered from the domain of darkness. And yet too many people are still allowing it. That is the domain of darkness to affect them. 
they're either excusing its influence and their actions according to it or sometimes fascinated by it. Darkness, why, why does it lure so many people in that direction? And neither one is good. Romans 6.11 says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. By the way, in Christ, there is no partial transfer from one domain to the other. It's complete. Jesus was fully adequate to deliver us from darkness and into light. Completely. It's, just, it's, a, it's a complete transfer. There's nothing in between. Jesus has completely redeemed us and released us from legal obligation to pay for our own sins. So, hey, listen, you're under no legal obligation to pay for your own sins anymore. This goes back to, and we'll learn about this as we continue to go through our study in this letter, but asceticism. That's when we, we begin to believe that perhaps uh, if, if, I, if I follow a set of rules of what not to do and do, that that, that may uh, actually win me a place in heaven. That has no place in God's grace, <laughs> or it wouldn't be God's grace. The work is complete. Jesus has completely redeemed us and released us from this legal oblig- obligation to pay for our own sins. Because he fully has on the cross, by the shedding of his blood, on our behalf, done all the redemption necessary. All by the shedding of his blood. And with this, we have been forgiven of our sins. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. There's, there's nothing. This is the very thing that the Apostle Paul was communicating to the church And God is communicating to us this morning. Redemption through Christ and nothing else. And it is complete. Of course, the question is for us, do you you know this? Do you know this redemption? Is Christ adequate for your entire life? And how is that reflected? Because we can answer in the affirmative. We can confess and we can proclaim. We can declare, right? But really, what, is, what should be the, the question that follows that is, how is that reflected in our lives? Is it reflected in our lives? Because that will reveal to us really, truly, where we stand with the Lord. Amen. That's what it'll do. I want to close with this. Joy reflects a heart of confidence and hope. I said that earlier. I want to say it again, just to close, Right? This is why we can and should possess joy regardless of the circumstances we're faced with. Because we know the one who knows all things. And he offers to us his wisdom to handle them in a manner that reflects that wisdom and glorifies him. Remember I said as you gain knowledge and you apply that knowledge, you see the fruit and it brings you back. It brings you back to the word of God. I pray for you that you increase in that knowledge. That you apply, you see it, and you keep coming back to the Lord Because he is faithful. He will never let you down. And doing that will reflect a life that is truly given to the Lord. Devoted to him. Committed to him. Surrendered to him. And it glorifies him. Commit yourself to pray. Intercede on behalf of one another. For this very thing.
Because the enemy does not sleep. He does not rest. Do not put your guard down. Pray for one another and encourage one another to go back to the word of God. That he too may know that wisdom and the fruit that comes from it. And so I pray as the Apostle Paul prayed. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Heavenly Father, that is our prayer. And I ask, Lord, that you would give us that understanding, that you would fill us with your spirit, and that we would be mindful of your presence in our lives. I pray for anyone who is here that does not know you. I ask, Lord, that you would um, help them understand that forgiveness is offered by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not of works, lest any person, any man would boast. We can't boast about our salvation. It's been done completely and sufficiently by Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And I pray, Father, that if anyone does not know that personally, that today be the day of salvation, that they would cry out to you, ask for forgiveness, and ask you to be Lord and Savior of their lives. Give them a new heart, a new life. Fill them with your spirit and give them understanding of what we just went over this morning, that they too would know that joy that no one can take away because of our hope in heaven through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for this morning in your word. May it speak to us and resonate in our hearts as we go about our day and about our week. May may we be encouraged with the basics of our faith, knowing first and foremost how it is that we've been saved. And then from there, apply your word to our lives that our wisdom may grow in you and you may be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.